The following is a community recording of the decentralized storyline for the Web3 game Planet Quest. For more information, please visit planetquest.io. Bonus Story Epilogue Part 1 Sarah Vars Sarah Vars winds her hand tightly around the accelerator of her ship. A surge of energy rocks the frame, and the exterior plating rattles. ETA wormhole, about ten minutes now. She looks back, sees the faint shape of Mimir bathed in a far-off light. For a brief moment, Sarah finds herself back there, transported beneath the planet's silica-tinged skies. She's managed to pick up some stray transmissions about the cave's collapse. Sarah bites her lip. It was always a possibility, but to think all of them would rush in. A burst of static blazes from her comms unit, and she's pulled back from the mirror toward her cockpit and the shifting mass of light up ahead. Sarah. Montez's voice, like worn-down sandpaper, softens the din of the ship. Some of us are, uh, falling over from exhaustion over here. Is there any point in us lingering around still? She smiles, imagining the pirate's gruff face lined with fatigue, pity. She would have liked to have seen that. No, Montez, you and your men can stand down. You've done more than enough already. Good. There's a brief moment of silence between the two, a coarse emulsion of unspoken thoughts and resurfaced memories. Sarah, is this really what you want to do? Sarah rolls her eyes, grinning as she adjusts the ship's yaw. Oh, now you decide to get all sentimental? She puts a clear tube in between her teeth, stifling her words somewhat. But yeah, I've got to. You know what the council's like, factions would be at each other's throats if this was a public expedition. Final wiring complete, she lets the stray tube drop into her lap. Right now, all they've done is slapped a med pack on the thing, and if we don't grab some of this new quantum stuff from through there. She looks into the sliver of darkness at the center of the wormhole and shivers. Then there's no way the cradle's going to stay this stable, at least, that's what it said. And you believe the thing? Montez isn't doubting her, there's only concern in his voice. We've been over this. Stopping the wormholes was a long shot, and that worked. Sarah breathes in deep, adrenaline slowly gathering around her fingers. This leads the best we've got. A silence. Tendrils of solid light begin to brush against the ship as it reaches the edge of the wormhole. Take care, kid. You too, Montez. Hope you find your other half soon. At once, the comms whimper and die. Sarah is alone, with nothing but the hum of her ship to keep her company. Outside, the stars glimmer with faded promises, each of them slowly overtaken by the encroaching light. Trajectory for the wormhole is set, now for the hard part. Sarah steadies her breathing, closes her eyes, and lets the whispers in. Come on. She mutters at the yawning void, gritting her teeth as her ship hurtles into the blackened heart of the light. Try a little harder this time. Why don't you? Epilogue Part 2 Ivana Ivana's body shakes. She feels as if she's wading through a dream. Her palm open, her fingers splayed out. Cold. Acid in her mouth, but she bites back, forces herself to look down. 
down at the body of the fallen emperor, her grandfather. At her mother, teeth gritted, thrashing in the iron grip of the draught eyes, clutching at Solace Crane's lifeless body, blood seeping through his robes and onto the ground. So he can bleed. Seems like the analytical part of her brain is still working. Angstrom would have a field day with that. Ivana welcomes the wave of nostalgia, the smell of her brother's hair, pulling her away from her mother's shambling cries. There is nothing in the Imperial Chambers now. Nothing to tell anyone that Solace Crane's body had lain there not too long ago. Dead. Or perhaps, dying. Ivana's eyes skim the room, hoping to pick up something, anything at all that might help her make sense of it all. Finding nothing, she steps across stone, moving toward the balcony. The draught eyes of House Preter bow as she passes, the middle of their helmets assuming a more delicate shape, a show of respect. Not that she deserves it. The sound of heels on the polished marble of the Imperial Palace brings Ivana back to the prison. Gloria Morel halts her stride, looming over Solace's body, wiping the knife with her handkerchief. Then she smiles, moves toward Ivana. The white hem of her dress is drenched in blood. Ivana feels Gloria's hand clasp hers, feels the cool heft of the blade slide into her palm. Thank you, dear. Gloria whispers, face inches from hers. You have been everything I hoped for. She pats Ivana's clasped fist. And you will be the first to notify the Forum that the Emperor is dead. Ivana blinks and looks past Gloria to her mother, gazing into the familiar war-torn wasteland of the woman's eyes. For the first time in her life, Ivana can see a horizon beyond that. She meets Gloria's stare, nods her head, her body numb, and turns away, words and thoughts echoing soundlessly inside her empty frame. Ivana steps onto the balcony and is greeted by the cool air of the Imperial Capital's afternoon. Repair ships fly overhead, their work almost done. Even in the outer areas of the palace, where the fighting had been strongest, there was little to no evidence that a coup had ever taken place. That, she supposed, was the point. She shakes her head. Her mind has grown foggy. Where before there was clarity and single-minded purpose, now there is confusion and hesitancy. She places her hands on the railing. Why had she done it? Refusing to call attention to a revolution was one thing, but taking part in one? That was treason. Ivana grips the railing tighter, her astrea's casing digging into the brittle stone. Yes, she was a traitor. Certainly she was a traitor. So why didn't she feel like one? Even now, when Gloria's death had proven the coup to be nothing but a frantic bid for power orchestrated by lesser noble houses, Ivana still shivered when she looked up at the sun, still felt empty, somehow like something was wrong. Her mind travels back to the lifeless body of Solace Crane, spread out across the stone floor. She can't help thinking that maybe, just maybe, the Emperor still being alive was the problem, that if she could just... Something curls around her neck. Ivana freezes. Solace Crane steps out onto the balcony beside her. Neither of them look at each other. Ivana's heart strains against her chest. During all their talks of military strategy, some on this very balcony, her grandfather has never once touched her. Now, draped in whispers of death, he holds her neck, gently, between his fingers. Ivana's mind rages against her body, suppressing her pulse with the fervor of a beast eating off its own leg to survive. 
She cannot show weakness. Not now, not to him. As the sun shines high over the imperial capital, two members of House Crane stand bathed in its light, history swirling around their feet. Ivana Crane grits her teeth and waits. Epilogue, Part 3, Emmett Emmett breathes in the thin, brittle air of the finch wastes. Corpses pile high against the fraught stone surface of the plateau, harsh winds buffeting the slope, carrying their stench upwards. A crash of thunder streaks across the sky, and Emmett's brow twitches. The wastes, far from the Union's main bubbles, provided a template, a blank slate for clearing the mind. Apparently, so far all the wastes had done was agitate his. Then again, clarity wasn't the sole reason for his passing through. He glances at the figure beside him, draped in tattered brown robes, hands pressed against each other in a silent prayer, a thick hood and an outward glance obscuring its face. Best not to disturb her, yet. The sound of scuffing rock comes from behind him, and Emmett turns. Some children, most likely from the nearby settlement, have taken it upon themselves to play on the steps leading up to the plateau. Emmett rises from his cross-legged position and moves over to the children. Engrossed in the game they've fashioned out of rocks and mud, they barely notice his presence. He raises an eyebrow. To his surprise, he recognizes the setup. It's some union variation of Cadius, a traditional strategy game from the Empire. Emmett smiles. And planets on the Union's fringes, cultures from the surrounding factions tended to bleed through. It was good, sometimes, to remember what you were fighting for. Why'd you come alone? The voice of the robed figure cuts through the onslaught of wind to reach Emmett's ears. He turns on his heel, leaving the children to their game. Who says I did? Emmett smiles and tries to quieten the thumping in his chest. He still isn't sure if coming here was a good idea. Oh please, I'd smell them. A faint chuckle laces the figure's voice. You vagabonds don't worry much about keeping yourselves clean. Emmett shrugs. Well then, you're halfway to becoming one of us already. The figure pauses, motionless. Shouldn't you and your little motley crew be on your way to the bastion, anyway? Why come all the way out here? They lift a hand up with slow purpose, tracing a line along their left side. Or did you just stop by to admire your handiwork? Would you rather have died? Silence. Emmett slips his hands into his pockets. Sore spot. Noted. All the same, we can both see that it's only a matter of time before the union starts coming apart at the seams. I figured you might want to actually do something about that. From what I hear, you're definitely more open to drastic action than most council folk. Emmett sighs, the thick, weather-worn parka around his shoulders suddenly very heavy. How's it healing, anyway? The figure stirs, pulling the hood back from her face. You tell me. A bolt of thin, dark hair, straddled into a tight knot, accentuates the golden mask that curls around her jaw. The mouth of a lion is delicately engraved on the mask's surface, its teeth bared, the mark of a celestial. The left corner is cracked ever so slightly. As Hailing Gwyn shifts herself toward Emmett, a flash of thunder illuminates the tip of the scar that runs across the left side of her chest, casting the contours of her face in a bright light. Haley moves with purpose, circling Emmett and massaging her wrists. Her face is serious, but her eyes dance mischievously. You realize you'll be calling attention to yourself, right? This isn't another one of your small-scale operations. 
Every two steps, she skips a little, walking with a warrior's pace. No more of your working in the shadows bollocks or maintaining balance from afar. She stops directly in front of Emmett, her vivid ochre eyes fixing him in place. You'll be involved. Directly this time. Emmett matches her gaze. Good. The corners of Haley's mask curve upward. Through the crack in the left side, her teeth glint in the flashing skies of Finch. Then let's get going. I've got a score to settle with a dead man. Epilogue Part 4 Montez Hope you find your other half soon. The sudden burst of static slices through the comm room and Montez finds himself alone in his cabin. He wonders how she knew. Thick, metal pauldrons curl around his legs, still bearing the crest of House Lycanus. Perhaps the only remnant of his family's glory that still exists. Well, not completely. My other half. Montez swirls his flask around and takes a gulp. The liquid burns in his throat, stray drops filtering through his beard to his chin, like rain scurrying through a bramble patch. He gets up, captain's chair rocking as he does, and steps over to the observation window behind him. His expression is grave. There was no need to tell Sarah about Eden Nepitus or Morn. She would have wanted to stay and that would have gotten complicated. Things were easier with her out of the picture. Once a council dog, always a council dog. All the same, Montez feels a twang in his chest, his rusted heartstrings creaking into motion. It was never easy, saying goodbye. The pirate lord snarls and feels the years gnawing at his bones. My other half. In his mind, he is worlds away. Memories whirl around him, shattered reflections of a distant dream. The cold metal gives way to the cushioned halls of an imperial cruiser the day he left his old life behind. Rushing heartbeat and open wounds where his family, his own blood, has torn strips of flesh off his body. Teeth tearing through protective packaging, the dull nausea of anesthesia. Primitive, common, and cheap. Soft fabric strikes his arm, I've made light years away that. from home. Yes. Arms wrap around a familiar body, unfamiliar to his touch, still mute, skin covered, struggling into the cramped space of the escape pod. Brushing the hair from its face. From his own face. A kiss on the restless forehead, the dull clink of a lever and the hatch closes, space snatching one last part of his soul, of his flesh. Alone, once again. Bloodstained palms, the taste of iron in his mouth, this is how he would remember his family, thin streaks of crimson mingled into their wolf furs. The chatter of incoming comms fills the emptiness of the memory. Captain? Montez jolts back to the present. When was the last time he slept? Too long ago. Any news from Commander Vars, Captain? There is an expectant pause, and Montez smirks. Lorcan seemed to have learned his place after that last fiasco on Mimir. Good. Montez moves toward the double doors, his gruff voice carpeting the steel walls. All good on our end, boys. Reckon we've settled that debt nicely. The doors part, and Montez strides through onto the platform overlooking the main bridge. A few dozen crimson wolves sift around on the deck area. He grins, it's good to be back. Montez gives a silent thanks to Emmett and his crew. The lad had grown so much since he'd last seen him. Guess we've both saved each other, boy. He mutters under his breath. 
Never thought you'd pay me back for that. Across the damaged glass of the bridge's canopy, smaller ships fade into view. The Crimson Wolves' forces, gathering from their battle stations around Namir, their flickering lights adding themselves to the canopy of stars ahead. Montez leans over the balustrade, his speech spurring the crew to their stations in a shock of pure instinct. Right then, lads. What do you say we take another crack at the council? A cheer rises up from the wolves, and the ships immediately kick their quantum drives into motion. Montez settles back into his chair. He blinks. Something flashes up in the monitor overhead. Incoming calls, one. Caller, kudo. Accept. Damn, this fed. He seemed desperate to continue picking at scabs. Some secrets were better left dead and buried. Montez rubs his temple, heaves a weighty sigh, and presses the flashing button labeled yes as the quantum drive of his ship roars its approval, sending them rocketing through the void toward a distant horizon. Epilogue, Part 5 Kudo Toma Kudo closes the vidfeed link with Montez and looks through the now vacant hologlass at a rain-stricken evening. The soft, violent twitch of the pirate captain's mouth is still burned into his retinas. That bastard! He said he would cooperate after Kudo got him the new model of the Tanakam generator, but he still isn't letting anything slip. Questions flow through Kudo's mind like raindrops, striking the dull, flat surface of his subconscious. Their impact is fleeting, leaving no room for resolution or answers. He knows one thing for sure, though, all of this is connected, he just needs to see how. Pushing Montez out of his mind, Kudo pulls a hand across his wrist, almost reflexively. He holds it there for a brief second, feeling the warmth of his own skin and the steady rhythm of his pulse a taciturn reminder that he is, somehow, still human. He allows his hand to fall and lets the circuits embedded into his skin do their work. In an instant, an avalanche of images, people, places, objects, is projected out of the back of his palm, flashing by at an insane speed. With his digital contacts, however, Kudo can follow every millisecond. A picture of Yen streaks past, the cousin who'd done what he never could, now coming to him for help. Kudo opens up a call to them, static. Maybe they were busy. Last he knew, Yen was on Vargas, hot on the trail of Adonis. Kudo smirked. He couldn't deny there was a part of him that wanted to ignore them and just watch a Valkyrie suffer. But it was a quiet part and Kudo's head could get very, very loud. He flexes his palm and the images scatter, billowing out from him into an incomprehensible web of clusters and data threads, all hanging in the air, swaying slightly to simulate tactility. Kudo steps back, admiring his handiwork as he surveys the patterns. How had Oria known about the Ojin Kai on Morn? His eyes flit in between the clusters, searching for connections. The Federation's Princess of Progress didn't like to get her hands dirty, so someone would have needed to supply her with that information. Suddenly, Kudo flinches and grabs his head, his breath turning ragged. If someone were to walk in on him now, they would see the gauntness seeping into his features, making him look like a man twice his age. It feels like his head is splitting in two. Valkyrie training. It never really left you. Kudo steadies his breathing and straightens up. All this, and he still couldn't explain Vostek's involvement. Those maps he'd found. What had Huxley been doing with them? 
And how had the president made the trip to Station Ignis in almost no time at all? Kudo waves the cluster away, frustrated at his own lack of insight. He isn't getting anywhere with this either. He needs something concrete. On a whim, he pulls up the data on the Julius Lycanus murder, the case that got him into this whole mess. Feels like a lifetime ago. The video is new, though, and he's not seen the scene from this angle before, either. He looks closer, a brief movement in the scene catching his eye. Soon? He mutters, and his circuits twitter as they oblige. One of those guards, by the door, he looked just the slightest bit too old, and there was something about him. Zoom. The video was looped, clearly, but there was this, twitch, in the upper right corner of the- No. Epilogue, Part 6 Kudo staggers back. No. His entire body is rigid, like he's been struck by lightning. Then, blindingly fast, he pulls up the footage from the recent call with Montez, left hand skimming through it at breakneck pace, his other hand sorting through the images from the 32nd Conference and Gloria's Imperial Address. At once, his left hand stops short, and Kudo stares blank-faced at the looped recording of Montez playing out in front of him. It was the same twitch. Exactly the same, he was sure of it. Somehow, Montez Lycanus had been in two places at once. Twins? No. The DNA scan would have found discrepancy in the samples. No one human was fully identical to another. Less? Now Kudo's right hand is still, and two pictures of the Emperor hang in the air, one holding up Gloria, the other wavering behind the slim frame of Ji Youngju, hand on the emissary's shoulder. The same face, the same unblinking white eyes, but the first one was missing in Astria. He looks back and forth between the two stills, his enhanced vision searching for a single discrepancy between the two, and finding none. Solace Crane had survived. Or had he? Was this even the same man? And if not, who or what was he really? He glances back at Yen's call screen. Still nothing but static. Either they were being slow or... God damn it! He'd need to check in with them before jumping to conclusions. Tomokudo straightens his jacket, pulling his collar up against the rain. It looked like he was going to have to make that trip to Vargas after all. End of Planet Quest Season 1 Stay tuned for Season 2